Well, we want to welcome you to the Reformed Informants. This is a podcast devoted to biblical exposition, systematic theology, and practical application for the good of the church. I'm Lance Burroughs. And I'm TJ Darty. And we are the Reformed Informants. Man, the two months of silence has now been broken. I feel like I'm in the you know intertestamental period here. We, we've been out of the game for a couple months, man, and what an episode to be back in the game, though. Yeah, I mean it's been it's been weird uh, because normally on Mondays, right, it's just a staple in the schedule. Just every week, we're just we're just rolling out new episodes, and then um, with the birth of our second daughter, uh, life was really hectic and chaotic for a little bit. So we do appreciate uh, the listeners who have. Uh, given us time to, to take a break, but man, I'm I'm really, really, uh, genuinely excited to be back. Not just in general, but specifically to have this uh, this particular conversation today. Yeah, man, uh, th- th- this is big time. And spe- speaking of uh, your baby girls, we just found out today the gender of ours coming May thirtieth. Man, are you gonna sh- are you gonna share? Are you gonna share? We're gonna have to find yeah, that. Yeah, you out guys later. are gonna get a little insight here because the episode's not gonna release till next week. And of course, my wife's gonna do the gender reveal on social media this weekend, man. So we're gonna be in the clear. So you guys gonna get a little insight here. We are having another boy. Let's go. Good for you guys. I, so I have, I have one question. As you're saying that. Um, so how do you know the gender of the baby until the baby tells you? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm That's going to be a future episode right there. <laughs> well, TJ, why don't you introduce our guest, man, and then kick us off and let's get rolling. Yeah, our regular listeners are going to notice that we have a third uh, a third voice in the uh, in the conversation today, and that's going to be Sam uh, Say. Uh, so excited to have Sam on. Uh, you know, it's it's really fascinating uh, because social media, uh, the internet, the podcast world, uh, all those things are, are make the world so much smaller. And uh, we came across uh, Sam's, uh, I, I think I came across his Twitter profile, just seeing his his content retweeted into my timeline. And I thought, man, this guy is saying a lot of really insightful things. And, you know, just started to follow him and keep up with him, notice his blog posts. And man, I've just been so encouraged by him. And so we reached out and uh, we've been wanting to have this conversation today uh, for a really long time. And uh, Sam has been uh, kind of on the forefront of our minds as somebody who we would like to bring in. And so we're so thankful, uh, Sam, for for stepping in and for having this conversation with us. Well, thank you guys for having me. I'm uh, privileged to be here. Yeah, man. Well, uh, Sam, why don't you go ahead and give us a little uh, background info? Maybe throw in there some of your testimony, how you came to faith and to know Christ. And then that can segue into basically what you have going on now and, and what you're involved with and how people can get in touch with you in terms of social media and those things. Yeah, as you as you said earlier, my name is uh, Samuel Say. I was born in Ghana, uh, which is in West Africa. It's the uh, the best African country in the world. I'm not biased at all. Um <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I was born and raised there, grew up there till I, um, till I was 10 years old. And then I moved from Ghana to Canada, uh, particularly in Montreal, Montreal, uh, Canada, uh, in Quebec, um, the French speaking side of uh, Canada. And then with some um, family issues, uh, essentially my, uh, my, my mom uh, faced some, um, some abuse from my stepfather so that 
forced us to uh, leave uh, Quebec and Montreal to Toronto, Ontario, or what Drake annoyingly refers to as the six. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I uh, we moved here, and um, I, my mom has been a Christian all I knew. Uh, I really was raised literally in the church. Um, I remember there were Friday nights where my mom would go out. My mom was, you know, is a Pentecostal, um, you know, and, um, you know, if you know Pentecostals, they love their, their uh, all night prayers. Now, now, to be fair, my mom, just since this is a reformed informants, my mom is reforming. She's reforming. <laughs> Amen. Yes. But uh, just wanted to inform you guys about that. But um, no. So, you know, I, I grew up uh, in the church on Friday nights. Uh, my mom would would drag me, um, you know, and I'll just be falling asleep as she's doing all night prayers and stuff. So I grew around, you know, I, I, I grew up in the church, but of course not a very healthy church or not healthy churches. So when I was 19 um, in Toronto, I uh, went to a youth retreat out of my uh, Pentecostal, but at the time, well, still is a heavily prosperity gospel church. And that's all I knew. I I thought Baptist and anybody else that wasn't Pentecostal was basically just heretics. Mm. <laughs> so uh, if you weren't baptized in the Holy Ghost, uh, you know, you weren't right. Um, so anyway, I went to this retreat and it was the pastor at the time was this you know, female pastor. And uh, she didn't preach. It was a horrible sermon. It was it was bad, bad theology. But. God, God is still good, even, you know, through bad preaching. So all I remember her saying is Christ died for sinners. Everything in between that and after that was horrible. But what she said was Christ died for sinners. And I heard that many times, right? But that day, it just hit me like a brick that, wow, I'm a sinner and Christ died for me. And, and then we watched the Passion of the Christ at the time, and I got, a, you know, got more emotional, I guess, about it. But <laughs> ignoring that aspect, um, I uh, yeah, I remember that night. I, I, I again, I was raised in the church, but I was godless. I I knew since five years old that I was a huge, huge sinner, and that I deserved the wrath of God because I was committing sins that at five years old that only married only married people. Not sin, but I was doing things that was sinful. But what I mean is, it's not a sin when married couples are engaging in this activity. I'm referring to sexual activity. But at five years old, I was committing sexual sin. So I knew I was a horrible, horrible person. No one had to convince me I deserved hell. I knew it. Um, I was very afraid of death. Um, and the first day where I wasn't afraid of death was when uh, I heard the gospel that night. And I knew, as uh, Christ said to the thief on the cross that if I were to die that day today, I would be with him in paradise. Um, so I, yeah, I heard the, uh, the gospel that day and I had a huge passionate desire to read God's word. I remember uh, that night I was with uh, other young guys at the time and they kept mentioning this Paul guy. I'm like, who's this Paul guy? And everyone's like, what are you talking about, dude? Like, you don't know who the apostle Paul is? I'm like, no. Now I grew up in the church, but I never read my Bible. I, I came home uh, after that weekend and um, my Bible was really dusty. I remember that. It was dusty and I had to grab it and open it. And I ate that. I ate the book up. And uh, by the grace of God, I've been eating it up 
over the last uh, 16 years, no, 14 years now. Yeah, it's been 14 years. Um, so, um, yeah, God has been good to me. You know, he, he, um, yeah, he's been good to me. You know, my mom is then, like I said before, has been reforming and, um, yeah, anyway, so yeah, that's how I became a uh, Christian. Um, and, uh, I'm, uh, still surprised I'm still a Christian. Uh, I became not obviously reformed later on. I thought for sure I would lose my salvation within days because I knew how sinful I was, but at the time I didn't know how merciful and how gracious God, God was. And, um, I'm still learning that, but he's been very gracious to me. Man, that, 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 that right there was one of the most encouraging segments that I've listened to in a long time for two reasons. One, the gospel and the, the, the work that God has done in your life, but also I'm encouraged to hear that God works through bad preaching, right? Like even when, even when I go up there and just fire a dud on Sunday morning, mm. I, I'm, I'm thankful to know that God doesn't need me. Uh, he doesn't need anything that mm. we have to say today. He, he uses his word. So man, thanks for sharing mm. that. that. That was just so encouraging. And uh, yeah, all right, bro. all right, Samuel, t tell us before we hop in, we, we've got a, a heavy episode. we got a lot to talk about, but before we do that, we want to, we want to push people to your work, right? We, we've been encouraged by you and we want others to do that. How can our listeners engage, keep up with you, Instagram, Twitter, blog, that kind of deal. Tell, tell us where to, where to go, where to, where to find your work. Yeah. People can find me across all social media platforms, uh, particularly Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and then increasingly popular now parlor, um, <laughs> at, uh, you know, slow to write. And then they can also find me in my blog at slow .com. And, um, yeah, that's where they can find me on social media and my blog and cool. All right, brother. Well, let's let's hop in. Um, I said before, and Lance and I were talking a, a little bit before we started. It, it feels kind of uh, kind of feels wrong to say that I'm excited to talk about this episode because what we're about to talk about is really significant. It's heavy. It's not exciting stuff. But I, but I'm excited in the sense that we need to have this conversation. And so our our uh, this episode that we're uh, hopping into today is is about the travesty of abortion. And before we do what what our aim in this conversation is to just we're going to ask questions. We're going to have a conversation about this topic and, and try to engage it from a biblical worldview. Uh, but specifically, I, I want to make this comment up front that our aim is to engage with believers. So we're talking about the standard is you have a biblical worldview, you believe God's word's true. Uh, in other words, I'm not trying to convince a pagan or a non-believer uh, to believe what we believe about about abortion or how we understand this issue. This is we we're, we want God's word to define how we think about these things. We want to speak in absolutes, uh, not because this is our opinion, but because this is being formed out of uh, the word of God. And so uh, let's let's have this conversation. And uh, as we as we begin, I, I just want to ask you, Samuel, just from from your experience, let, let's define some terms. Uh, what is abortion? Is is the word abortion? Um, there's a stigma to it. We, we've got all these different labels, right? We've got pro-life. We've got anti-abortion. Are those terms helpful? H help us to think through what are we talking about before we actually get into the meat of the conversation? Um, that's a great place to start. So abortion is defined as the intentional killing of a preborn baby. Um, I use the word preborn and unborn. It's okay for, for some to use unborn, but I think the word preborn is better because it shows that that it's, it talks about a stage, right? So a preborn baby is a baby before they're born. I think the word unborn can be a bit too sometimes a bit ambiguous in some ways. Um, but yeah, so abortion is the intentional killing 
of a preborn baby. Now, concerning what's the right term to use, uh, I think you said pro-life or anti-abortion, anything like that. Uh, I think they both work. I think they're both fine. Um, now, also, there's nothing wrong with addressing abortion as murder, because as we will talk about more, it is murder. It is, you know, if if I mentioned earlier that, you know, the fetus, you know, which simply just means baby, um, you know, and, and from the original Latin, well, a baby is a person, is a human life. So if you kill that baby, if you kill that person, you've committed murder. Um, so there's nothing wrong. I think some people, um, especially, I'll be honest, a lot of my pro-life colleagues are uncomfortable using the word murder because they think it can be alienating. Well, I'm not too much, I'm not as much really concerned about what might alienate somebody. I just wanted to speak the truth. And I think people yearn for the truth. Um, we can save a lot of babies by just being very candid about what abortion is. And abortion is murder. Um, so there are some terms that may not be quite as helpful in some ways, but generally the word pro-life, anti-abortion, anti-murder, they're all very good. But yes, abortion is the intentional killing of a preborn baby. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, it, it, even just hearing those words in our culture, it, it, it has it has a shock to it because I, I think in, in some sense, Samuel, it, it's been dumbed down and people are numb to the reality of the definition that you just gave. Yeah, and I think, well, even the word abortion, right? As I mentioned, I think there's nothing wrong with mentioning that because a lot of people, that's that wording is all they know. So I think it's helpful to use that word, but then I would also very much not stop there. I don't want to describe what it really is because then you don't have that kind of cognitive dissonance as to what it really is. But yes, we, our culture dumbs it down, right? They refer to it as, well, I'm just pro-choice. They refer to it as a woman's right. They want to say everything except for saying what it really is. The slaughtering, the, dis the destruction, the ripping apart of a preborn baby. I honestly didn't really quite know how heinous and how, how do I use this? Yeah, just how grotesque. Um, not not uh, the woman who gets abortion isn't grotesque necessarily as a person, but the act itself is grotesque. That you, they literally rip babies' limbs apart. They crush their their skulls. It, it's a horrific thing, and. Um, you know, and I think describing abortion for what it really is, showing people what abortion really is, is so crucial because many people today, rightly, Planned Parenthood and abortion, uh, you know, murder mills or abortion centers, they don't really want to show you what really happens. People don't know how bloody it is and how horrific it is. Um, so I think when we can really kind of um, just show people what we really mean by abortion, what the act really is, is, is crucial. Because that's why, unfortunately, so many of us uh, sleep well at night knowing that babies are being uh, murdered. Man, and I think what you said there is absolutely spot on. And that, and that really segues in, into our, our next question for you, Samuel, in terms of this conversation. This conversation is clearly at the forefront of your life and these discussions and, and advocating um you know, uh, against this movement. Um, why would you say that it's critical that Christians engage in this discussion, engage in this topic? Why Why must we be vocal? Mm -hmm. uh, sir, as you were saying that, I, I realized that I didn't mention to the audience who may not know that I'm a, a pro-life advocate at a pro-life organization here in Canada. So this is, uh, besides blogging or being on social media, 
Um, I, I go to churches and I go to schools and I go to major areas all over Canada. And, um, and uh, I speak to people about what's happening to preborn babies in Canada and also in the whole world, including the U.S. Um, so, so, so the question was, um, why is it so important, right? Or am I... Yeah, I mean, why why should why why should Christians not disengage with this situation and and this topic? Why maybe not? It, maybe with most Christians, it's not as prominent in their life as it would be in yours, because I would say this is one of the major aspects of your ministry. But why must all Christians, at least to some degree, engage in this discussion? Mm-hmm. I think so many Christians think it's not as important in their life as it is in mine. I say that because. Um, <laughs> there's a survey out there that I think I it, it, I guess most people don't know about. Um, there was a survey um, that shows that forty percent of women who get abortions go to church at least once a month. Forty percent, including fifteen to twenty percent that go to church at least once a week. So in America, you have between 800,000 to a million babies being killed or and murdered every year. So 15 to 20% of that are coming from people who profess faith in Christ. Not just that, but who go to church regularly. Which means roughly, generally, you have a... 200,000 black babies, sorry, black, I'll get to that in a second, but you have 200,000 babies in, like, who, whose parents are carrying them around churches right before they carry them to plant parenthood and kill them. So if you are a Christian, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, you know people who've had abortions. It's a fact. One in four women in America have abortions in their lifetime. One in four. If you know at least four, generally four women, one of them have had abortions. This can include your, I'm not trying to scare anybody here, right? I'm just trying to be honest. This means that if you have cousins, you have sisters, you have friends, anybody, anybody, at, at least some of them have had abortions. So this matters to you. This is crucial. When I was 18 years old, a friend of mine um, that I was very close to, this is a female friend of mine, just asked me, Sam, what would you say to a girl considering an abortion? And her and I were, you know, we were very close and um, and I thought that was just a hypothetical random question. So I just said, I don't know. At the time, I wasn't a Christian. Like This was a year before I became a Christian. So um, I didn't know what to say at all. And again, I wasn't taking it seriously. I just said, I don't know. A year later, that same friend came to me saying, Sam, a few days after that question, I went to an abortion clinic and I killed my baby. This is how real it is. And this this, this friend of mine was a church member going to that same church. So um, these issues are affect all of us, especially Christians. And more than that, we live in a time right now where so many Christians, the whole world is talking about justice. We're all talking about, you know, now, well, let's, yeah, let's say social justice and critical theory and all these things. This is an opportunity for us to really use that to talk about justice. 
abortion is the biggest injustice of our lifetime. In fact, it's the biggest injustice in human history. Right? There have been so many babies that have been murdered this year already. And it's actually gone up now. I think I heard of as, as much as 50 to 20% because of COVID and the lockdowns and everything. So we're living in a time where babies are being murdered. It's legal to kill these babies. And we need to do something to protect our own loved ones and including our our, uh, our neighbors. Man, that, that's listening to you say that it's hard not to get emotional. And, and, I, and I, I wrote down a couple of, of statistics or, or kind of ways to think about this because we're so, I, I think Lance, you mentioned earlier, we're just so disengaged, right? It's just become this political talking point, right? Like the right and the left, they want to argue. And this is, this is just something that we talk about. And then we go our merry way. Like you said, Samuel, like we just sleep well at night knowing that thousands of children uh, preborn are, are slaughtered in, in the womb and not just slaughtered, they're slaughtered in the, the place that should be the safest for them, right? It, from within their mother's womb. Um, I, and I read this, I read just earlier today, there are, you, you reference this almost between 800,000 and a million every year in our country. That's more than any of the, uh, than all of the wars of combat in our nation's history for 200 plus years combined. Uh, that happens every single year. Uh, abortion would be the number one killer uh, if it were included in death statistics, it would be the number one killer every single year in our country. Uh, it, I, this one blew my mind. If you observed a 15 seconds, 15 seconds of silence for every uh, preborn baby that has been slaughtered in the womb, it would take you nearly 30 years to observe them all. Uh, and, and it's just so we're, we're just so. Uh, disconnected from that reality. And so having this conversation and, and thinking about these things, uh, it, it's not a category of, well, we, we're talking about justice. And then when we have time, we'll, we'll deal with this. Like this is, this has to be the forefront of our conversations. And uh, I, I'm thankful for you uh, doing this kind of work. And um, I, I've said this before too. I was, I was against abortion until I had a kid. And when I had that, when I held that little girl in my arms for the first time, like I, I, I became against abortion in a way that I never knew before. Like, I, like I, when I went to all the appointments and I did all that, and my wife and I celebrated those things, uh, those milestones, and, and it just, it just hit me in a way. And so I had to repent of the this apathy that I had. Like, oh, it's, a, it's a bad thing, but I'm not really engaged in, in the conversation because what can I do? Uh, so, so let me, let me just ask this. Let me kind of connect and continue this conversation, but why is it that we are so disconnected? Uh, why is it that when you say what you say, uh, what you just said, and you remind us that this is everywhere, it's all around us, why are we so hesitant as Christians to engage or to be active or to be uh, uh, on the front lines uh, in general? What, what What keeps us from doing that? The first thing that comes to mind is, I think, a lot of the same reasons, though we talk more about this particular issue more than we talk about abortion as in within the church. I think a lot of Christians don't talk about pornography as much either. Why? Because a lot of Christians are watching pornography. And I think the reason why, not everyone, but the reason why a lot of Christians don't talk about abortion is because they know people who've had abortions. And there is a fear and a lot of it of course is out of love but there's a fear of not wanting to offend the people in our lives who've had abortions also i think a lot of christians feel inadequate about addressing the issue 
Um, we feel that we're not able, we're not smart enough to be able to respond or react to the challenges that we might receive from the pro-abortion um, side if we address these issues. The other thing is, honestly, we're, as you said earlier, we're apathetic about it. One of the saddest things about, I think, a lot of we Christians today is we only hate something when the world tells us to hate it. We are so influenced by the culture that I worry that we're not going to hate abortion until the world hates abortion, which creates a problem because we're supposed to be the light of the world. And um, I think that's a that's a lot of it. A lot of so a lot of it's fear, apathy, and a a a, a sense or a belief that we are uh, inadequate to address the issues. Um, and honestly, a lot of it too is our many of uh, the, the people that we are influenced by, the leaders, um, a lot of pastors aren't talking about abortion. A lot of um, people that we trust, you know, we'll, we'll talk, I mean, today, right? In, you know, in the American context and also in the Canadian context, we're talking so much about racism. And um, yet I just know that racism didn't kill um, 300,000 black babies in America last year. It wasn't that, it was abortion. Uh, we are so focused on, I think, appealing to the world. And by if you want to appeal to the world, talking about abortion isn't the one thing that's going to get you um, to become you know, more loved by the world. So I think there are many issues, but those three issues that I mentioned, the fear, uh, you know, feeling inadequate, and just the apathy is um, you know, the three major reasons why. Man, yeah. I'm going to have to go back and listen to this episode two or three times here. I mean, this is gold. I appreciate you saying all these things, man. I, I, Samuel, I appreciate you just laying this out like it is, calling it what it is. And <laughs> I know we, we kind of live in a world where subjectivity dominates, but seeing these objective statistics really helps shed light on how serious of an issue uh, th this is. Now, in in terms of bringing this back to a biblical worldview, um, where we're letting scripture, theology, and doctrine drive our beliefs on this issue, something that you said earlier really struck a bell because you said that in, in many countries, of course, that you can legally murder someone. You can legally murder someone. Now, that doesn't line up with a biblical worldview. So I'm going to swing it back to you, Samuel, to talk about Scripture. Where does Scripture speak on this issue? Is Scripture explicit on this issue? You know, if you're wanting to just build a, a quick apologetic in terms of God's Word, could you do that? Not you personally, Absolutely. but does the Bible do that, you know? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. The Bible affirms that the preborn baby is human. It affirms that the preborn baby has rights. And it affirms that it's wrong to kill the preborn baby. So, for example, in uh, Psalm 139, um, verse, uh, we, many of us are familiar with this text, but Psalm 139, verse 13 to 16, the Bible affirms um, the preborn baby's humanity by saying this. This is, this is um, uh, the Psalm, the, the Psalm, the I can't think the psalm I'm, I'm not thinking straight right now, but I, I believe it's David who's saying this. Um, 
For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. Uh, this is, I believe, David speaking, speaking of God. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful. Uh, wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made, when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. This is David. This is the Bible referring to an embryo or even a zygote. This is like the very first day, right? So this includes the very first day that the egg, uh, I won't get too scientific here, but the egg and, and the sperm reproduce, right? That becoming the zygote. That, like you and all, all, all three of us were at one point the zygote. And this text refers to us as zygotes, as the fertilized egg. And then it also refers to us naturally also as the embryos, the fetus. This, this applies to every single stage of a preborn baby. This and and there's no well, we were not pre-human. We were human at this point, right? That our frame was not hidden from us because he is the one that made us. The Bible also says that we are made in the image of God. That applies to all people. The Bible also says, and this is very simple, but thou, thou shalt not murder. It doesn't say unless you're in the womb. It's thou shalt not murder. The Bible also says, and this is about how do we react then to abortion? How do we react then to um, baby killing? The Bible says in Proverbs 24, let me slow down. The Bible also says in Proverbs 24, verse 11 to 12, rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? Very In a very simple sense. Now, the Bible is completely pro-life. The Bible is anti-murder. The Bible is anti-abortion. But those three base, those three very simple texts form why I am committed to saving preborn babies because God tells me to, because they are my, my, my fellow humans. Now, you mentioned this earlier, but it's not legal to kill anybody else in America, anybody else, unless they are in the womb, which is why I get frustrated when when people oftentimes want to talk, I'm like, no, there's nothing close to it. Not only are they the only ones where it's legal to murder them, of course, they're being murdered by uh, um, um, yearly 800,000 to a million a year. But anyway, yes, the Bible, um, you know, these are some simple texts that we can get to that can inform us as to what the Bible is saying about preborn babies and abortion. And that, that was so <clears throat> straightforward and simple. And uh, of course, there there are other places we could go. Uh, you know, we could we could look at Jeremiah chapter one. God speaks as he, he formed him. Uh, the, John the Baptist uh, leaps in his womb whenever Mary, like 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 the Bible speaks to this unending. But I love the simplicity of those verses. Right, like it's just straightforward. Uh, and, and as you said, Samuel, 
front to back. The Bible is completely uh, pro-life uh, and and against murder and abortion. Uh, so so I think you've answered my question. I'm going to ask kind of a two-parter. Uh, first of all, does the Bible offer any kind of leeway? Like I think you already answered that, that it doesn't. But then the, the, the question, so I'll, I'll let you answer that, but then the question comes uh, just from, this is not only from the culture, but even from within the church. Okay, so here comes the question. Is there ever a case where we would say, yeah, but I think it's okay in this case, right? Like, like I'm kind of playing devil's advocate here because this is this is what I get. I see the pushback all the time. Uh, yeah, that's fine. Like what you just said is good in general, but there are exceptions like X, Y, and Z. Well, how, how would you respond to that? Is there ever any leeway? Is there ever any situation where we would say, okay, in this case, it is acceptable? No. <laughs> um, it simply is that. Now, what, what I will say to that is when people say that, um, and there are some Christians uh, who will attempt to say that, that reveals what they really believe about the preborn baby. Because they won't say that about five-year-olds. They would never say that about five-year-olds, right? If, if a mom... Um, had been so. I always, you know, we, we always use this particular example. Um, what would we, what would we say to a poor, vulnerable, single woman who, you know, who conceived the baby out of something as horrible as rape, and the baby is five years old at this point, and then now they're like, you know what, this five-year-old um, child is now this boy is now looking like the rapist. I cannot stand to look at this at my at this child anymore. I now want to kill the baby. What do we say to that? We would say, well, no. I mean, no. I understand how you feel. I'm sorry that you went through that. I get it. But you know, you can't you can't do that. If you think you cannot handle the baby, okay, let somebody else raise that baby. But don't kill that baby. Why? Because we recognize that that five year old is human and deserves rights. But then now go back five years earlier in the womb, and you have even some Christians who would say, well, maybe it's understandable. Why? That's because we don't believe the pre-born babies as human as a five-year-old, mm -hmm. right? Which reveals our own theology, reveals that we're not really believing what Psalm says about uh, what, what Psalm 139 says about pre-born babies. So there's never, ever, ever a circumstance, ever, where you kill someone for any, never. Now, of course, we're referring to murder, referring to intentionally killing another person. There's never, ever, ever justification for that. Uh, when a woman gets assaulted or gets raped, what she what she needs there is counseling and support. The abortion will not unrape her. It won't stop that. In fact, you then create a second traumatic event. And then you instead of instead of helping one assault victim, you create two assault victims, except one actually just gets assaulted to death. That's that is horrifying, and that's not gonna help the mom. In poverty, look, my mom was raised as uh, my mom raised me as a single mom, uh, and she was <laughs> we were poor. Um, my dad left the picture before I was born, and this is we were poor in Ghana. You know, we were poor in Canada as well too, but in Ghana. I mean, if, if you're poor, even by Ghanaian standards, you're poor, you know, and that was us. And it was so bad that on my, I remember on my fourth or fifth birthday, I asked not for a cake, but for a single hard boiled egg. 
that's how poor we was. And, you know, I mentioned that because my mom knew that it was wrong to kill me, whether I was in her womb or if I was five years old or 10 years old. And she knew that God was good and God would be able to equip her to raise me. Right. So, no, there's never, ever a circumstance to kill a baby. Never. Um, we know that because the Bible uh, is against all kinds of murder. And um, that's what I would say to that. We have no leeway. That's man. I'm, I'm so glad you said that. I knew you were going to say that. Felt comfortable asking it. But like that's exactly that's exactly the right perspective. And it, it's amazing. I, I think it speaks to the moral insanity of our day that we would even ask that question, right? Like like in what other world would we say, is it okay to kill someone if dot dot like like not just kill but to intentionally to murder right like not somebody uh paying a life for a life but we're just talking about taking a life away from an innocent individual uh, we would never ask that question but we have this morally insane world and culture now where we've uh defended that uh that act because it's become this this uh the sacrament really of of this ideology uh, of the culture of death. And so, uh, but let me, let me ask another question, uh, uh, before we, before we run too far away from this, but this is, a, this is, a, a, an argument that I saw from Christians, especially in the past uh, few months leading up to the election. Okay. So we had this right versus left, this dichotomy. And for many Christians, this issue of abortion was right at the forefront. And I saw many who were saying, yes, I agree with everything you've just said. Like, I don't disagree. I think you're right. And my aim is to have the fewest number of abortions possible, right? And so to advocate for that, I actually think uh, that we should promote, support, endorse policies from, for instance, the the, the left, uh, who, though they are pro-abortion, we think that underhandedly their policies reduce the number of abortions. So is that a an acceptable approach uh, to maybe pushing back against this? Because really, like you said, those numbers are astronomical. We want them to come down. Uh, maybe we don't think that they can ever be eliminated. So if we choose this path, maybe we'll have fewer. Does that question make sense? You, like, is that an acceptable approach? I'm trying to, I'm, I'm, I'm slowing down so I can answer your question in a very nice manner instead of the way I want to do so right, <laughs> right ahead. <laughs> There's, um, there's okay. wisdom in that for those listening. There's wisdom. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in thinking through and articulating because yeah. I, I did. I set you up here. So well done. Yeah. I know. I, I, I mean, I, I, I call myself slow to write. So I have to make sure I'm slow to speak. Uh, so I don't betray, I guess, what I've uh, in how I've named myself. But that is one of the most frustrating things I, um, I hear. And I, I, and I saw that a lot during the, uh, the election. Well, OK. I think there are probably some, though I, I really believe there are very, I think there are in the minority who really believe that by voting for the Democrats, they're going to reduce abortions. I, I, I don't I don't believe that most people who say that, including Christians, are being sincere in, in saying that because the facts are completely against, it's not true. Um, so abortion has been decreasing in America since the 1980s. And that's particularly because of the Republicans. Anybody who tries to deny this fact is is just choosing to be willfully ignorant if they are aware of, of the facts. Um, Reagan, Reagan, abortion started to go down in the 80s when Reagan introduced the Hyde Amendment. 
And that we've it's it's there's been some studies that have shown that it saved at least two million babies um, since the 1980s. Um, the, the Republicans, the state, who, the Republican states have been introducing pro-life bills like gestation laws, um, parental consent laws, and a number of other laws, including like Alabama last year, um, to save babies. That's why it's been going down. Now, here's what's interesting. In Democrat-controlled states, the abortion rate is the highest in America. In a Republican-controlled state, naturally the more pro-life states, the abortion rate is much lower. And where it's decreasing the most is in, of course, these Republican um, areas. On top of that, if you are pro-abortion, how does it help you to want to decrease abortion? Planned Parenthood and Democrats rely heavily on a lot of abortions happening. If you're Planned Parenthood, reducing abortion is not good for your business. That's what it is, the business, unfortunately. They make a lot of money through abortions. So why would they want to decrease it? Why would their political partners, the Democrats, wanted to create abortions. Oftentimes, in the, until last maybe five, 10 years, you'd have Democrats saying they believed in safe, legal, um, so, sorry, r- rare, safe, and legal, something like that. And sorry, sa- abortion should be safe, legal, and rare, I think was the rhetoric. Not anymore. They don't say that anymore because now they don't believe it should be rare. They really believe it's a righteous thing now, which is why you have all these states in Virginia um, and uh, New York last year who are now introducing late-term abortions to increase abortion. So the idea that the Democrats want to reduce abortions or that they even do that is a lie. Now, like I said before, abortions have been decreasing over the last 30 years in America, but it's particularly because of what the Republicans have been doing to limit uh, to limit abortion. Um, so that, that and even Joe Biden has mentioned how he wants to, um, he, you know, so Trump has, uh, Trump, like, Every Republican uh, since Reagan, um, he he brought back the Mexico City policy, which which cuts taxpayer t- taxpayer money being um, you know used to fund abortions overseas. Biden wants to increase that. Why? Because he wants to increase abortions around the world. And here in Canada, we have Trudeau, whom is you know who's labeled as the number one exporter of abortion um, in in the world because he donates 1.4 billion dollars to fund abortions in Africa, including Ghana, where the abortion rate is four times higher than it is in the U.S. and Canada. Um, so the rate, that the, the idea that the Democrats want to decrease the rate, the rate of abortion or that they do, do that they their policies inevitably do so is not true. It's against the facts. Um, but more than that, that comes from the perception that by creating these welfare policies, it will actually decrease abortion. That's not true at all. It actually increases abortion. So um, the wealth, obviously we know that, you know, Democrats have been pushing the welfare system to a lot of black women. That's, that's oftentimes their rhetoric. We want to help black women. Therefore let's increase and let's make the welfare state that much more powerful. Well, who has, who's more likely to have abortions in America? Unfortunately, it's black women. Why? If they're, if they're accessing all these welfare programs and all these policies that are supposed to help them, why is it leading to an increase in abortion um, in that particular, um, you know, with that particular group? So no, they don't help any at all. And in fact, one more point: the top fourteen nations officially with the highest rate of abortions in the world 
The top 14, they're all current or formerly socialist nations where naturally all the policies are supposed to decrease abortion is very much within socialist nations. And yet they have the top four, they have the top um, um, top 14 highest rate of abortions in the world. So no, they don't decrease abortion at all. They actually increase it. Wow, man. Wow. Well, uh, since we're on the subject and topic of legislation, bills, laws, and whatnot, we, we as Christians, we've, we've already clearly stated this on this episode, but we as Christians live to a higher standard. We live by God's standard. We live by God's word. We live by God's law. So if we were to apply God's law and his standard to this current situation, what would we do in these situations with the doctors and the patients and th- those that are involved in killing and and murdering babies? From a biblical worldview, how should that be addressed since we're discussing murder? You guys are trying to get me in trouble, aren't you? <laughs> um, <laughs> That's why we ask no, the questions. Um, <laughs> so you can blame it on me. <laughs> no, no, it's a great question. It's a great, great question. I think it's a, look. I I want to be faithful to God's word, and um, I'll be honest. I think it's this is one area where a lot of my pro life colleagues, not necessarily a my organization, just in general, the pro life movement as a whole, shies away from because it can be unpopular. Well, the Bible, God's word, is unpopular, um, but it is, um, but it's full of justice. So. Uh, what do we do with the abortion providers? Well, um, if you commit murder, you should be charged, right? Um, that's what the Bible says. So, for example, I read a text in uh, Exodus uh, 21, verse 22, where uh, the Bible says, When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fined as as the woman's husband shall impose on him. So that's if someone essentially causes a woman by by hitting a woman, uh, causes a woman to deliver the baby, and the baby's okay. They should be fined for that, right? Now that's that's that's, that's a fine, but that's not again an abortion, or that's not if the baby is harmed by it. However, it continues. But if there is harm, then you shall pay for life for life, eye for eye tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Therefore, again, if someone causes, in, by, again, hits and strikes a woman and causes her baby to die and to be harmed, they should be charged for that. If you, if, a, if, a, if an abortion provider, I, I struggle to call them doctors because they're not, they're not doctors. Doctors are supposed to be saving lives, not killing lives. But if you are an abortion doctor and you are killing um, a person, a child, they should be charged for murder. Now, now concerning the, the, the mom, this is, again, unpopular in some cases, but I think this is also the mom should also be charged for murder or depending on the scenario, they should be charged for manslaughter as well, because we do have dig- different degrees of of murder, right, or of, a, of an intentional killing. Some moms are pressured into getting abortion. Some moms are deceived, and and um, so with those kind of scenarios, we should have leniency and and, and different degrees for that. Nevertheless, sorry, Leviticus twenty verse one verse one to two, or one and two says, the Lord said to Moses. Say to the Israelites, 
any Israelite or any foreigner residing in Israel who sacrifices any of his children to Moloch is to be put to death. So anyone, anybody at all, uh, this is, you know, uh, God's word to Moses, any Israelite, any person who sacrifices, who kills their child, right? Whether it's for religious practice or whatever it might be, if they kill their child, they should be charged for that. Now, the death penalty, that could be up to, um, the, again, the individual case as well. Nevertheless, they should be charged for that as well. And depending on scenarios, like I, like I said earlier, it could be should be manslaughter or um, or uh, first-degree murder. That's on, again, the, the, the um, particular scenarios. But absolutely, if you commit murder, no matter who it is, uh, if a pre-born baby is human, they deserve the same rights as a fully grown uh, human. So... And both the moms and the abortion providers should be charged for murder. Yeah, I, I think, like, listen to you say that. Yeah, that's going to be unpopular, right? That, that doesn't sound like, that doesn't sound Christian to the world, right? That doesn't sound forgiving. But the reality is, is that that perspective is what defines the value of the human life, right? Like, that's what it means to be pro-life is to say, you cannot just yank life away and expect there to be no retribution because God is a God of justice. He's a, he's a God who protects life. And, uh, we wouldn't have the same, we wouldn't have the same recoil if it were, if we were dealing with a five-year-old, but because it's a five week old in the womb, we're, we're less, uh, sensitive to that. And, you know, and, and I think that that's, this is where theology always matters and what God's word uh, drives us to those conclusions, not because that's what we want, but because that's what God's word says. Uh, but, but hearing you say those things here, here's the, the, the next direction I want us to go. You, you've mentioned one in four women uh, have an abortion. Uh, there's there's a decent chance that somebody listening to the podcast has had an abortion. There's a decent chance that somebody listening to the podcast is very close to someone who's having an abortion. Um, you, you just talked about uh, the weightiness, the seriousness of all of that. But let me let me ask this question then. For somebody who's in those shoes, maybe this is this is really, really hitting hard. Is abortion the unpardonable sin? Is it the is it such a thing uh, to say that if you've had an abortion, you're a worthless human being, you have no access to God. Um, how do we, as the church, respond to that with the the, the seriousness and uh, the heinousness of sin, but also the grace and the mercy of the cross? Some of the godliest people I know have had abortions, not because the abortion made them godly. Of course not. The abortion abortion is a heinous, heinous sin. But some of my best friends, like I said, have had abortions because they've repented and believed in God. Abortion is, of course, not the unpardonable sin. Of course not. If it if it was, then that would mean that every murderer cannot be forgiven because the abortion is not anything other than a murder. And we know, right? One of my favorite things in the Bible is that Christ calls himself the son of David. Christ is not ashamed to identify with David, who is a murderer. That's right. Right? So in the same way, or in a similar way, in a sense, Christ also does identify with the church, which is made up of many murderers and many sinners. That, in, this, that includes some of my friends. That includes David. And that might include you know anybody who is uh, listening, if they've repented and believed in Christ. The only unpardonable sin 
is unbelief, where we choose not to believe the gospel. I said earlier that I became a Christian because I heard Christ died for sinners. That's that. I knew that that well, I'm a sinner. I'm a, that's me. And if you have had an abortion, you are a sinner, too. And Christ became Christ being God, became a man, lived a perfect life, goes to the cross, suffers all uh, suffers for uh, for our sins, receives all of our sins into himself. And then he gives us his righteousness if we believe him in faith. Right. And then Christ, um, um, God justifies us through the cross. And then he, in, the, in Christ's resurrection, we know we've been saved and he ascends into heaven and is pleading on our behalf. And he will return to rescue us from, from our ongoing sin and rescue us from the world and make all things new. But if you're a Christian and you've had an abortion in the past, you can trust, you can trust that God sacrificed his own son for your sin. You can trust that. That's that way the most important thing about you isn't what you did to your own child, but it's what God did to his own child to save you. So you can rejoice in that. You can have hope in that. That what makes you you, well, your biggest identity is Christ in you and not your. So it's really, um, again, what God did to his own son or his own child for your sake and not what you did. Is that a sin? Absolutely. But you can trust that if you've repented, God has forgiven that sin and he's forgotten that sin. So though you can, though you should be grieving absolutely over that, you can still rejoice and that you don't have to keep on. I know it's, it's true for me. I've committed some horrible sins in my past. And sometimes I feel as if I need to keep going back to the throne of grace and ask God for forgiveness. But if he has heard me cry out to him in repentance once, that's, he forgives me that on the cross once for all, and that's it. So if you are if you are a post-abortive Christian, if you had an abortion in the past, and um, again, you've repented, you've been a Christian, you can trust that you have complete access uh, to Christ like anybody else. So um, absolutely, no, no, abortion is not the unpardonable sin. Man, I, I don't know about you guys, but I just love hearing someone share yeah. the gospel, especially yeah. you know when you just nail when you just nail it theologically. Like it, yes. yeah. just hearing the gospel come over my own mind and heart and soul. Man, it, it's it's so refreshing to hear once again what Christ has actually paid for on the cross. It's it's just absolutely beautiful. And take and take out abortion and put any sin you want. Right, any sin is is the the message is the same, and so like I just think we needed to hear that and so perfectly articulated, uh, just to remind us that this is not uh, this is not something that that separates into Christians who've had abortions and Christians who haven't. Like, no, we are in Christ, and it's all covered in the cross. Man, that was so beautiful. Thank mm -hmm. you for sharing that. With Thank me. you for um, uh, asking that because I think that's such an important question. I think uh, there are a lot of Christians who are. I'm sure struggling with that, you know, and one of my favorite texts in the Bible is just uh, it's a simple text, but I came to seek and save the lost. You know, um, um, like I said before, I've known for a long time that I was lost. <laughs> I knew for a long time. So every time I read that, I'm like, praise God, you know, he came for me. He came. So if you know you are lost or if you know you are a sinner and you go to Christ for forgiveness, 
um, you're you're freed. You're freed from sin. Man, that's great. That's great. Well, well, moving forward from, you know, people that are listening in uh, to this episode, maybe for the first time they listen to this podcast. Um, we, we like to kind of tie a couple things together with the theology and doctrine, the topic that we're talking about, as far as application is concerned. Um, so it, moving forward, how do we engage with this topic in the public square? And even within the local church, um, with family and friends, I mean, going forward, what, what's the best way to engage this situation? I think it's crucial that we merge two or three things when we address this issue. So particularly, one of the things that I do, one of the things that the organization that I'm with, uh, what we do is when we go out to talk, you know, just, just publicly, just go to major areas in Toronto or in the States, uh, oftentimes, we come to the States to do some pro-life work as well, too. When we're there, the first thing people will know about us is that we have big signs of uh, what we call uh, abortion victim photography. We show people what happens to um, the baby when they get aborted. And just when people see that, we've done research and it shows that 70% of people who see the images, they develop more negative feelings about abortion. So many of them just by seeing that become pro-life. And then naturally, many of them, those who are who might be angry or might have questions, they will come to us and then it gives us a chance to talk to them. And when they come to us, one of the things we oftentimes do is simply just ask them questions. And we ask them something called, we, we use, I uh, don't use the word a tactic, but we use an approach uh, that we call uh, the human rights argument. Because we know that especially in our today in our culture, when you know the concept of human rights is so important, although it's being misapplied or misunderstood as to what it really should be, nevertheless, we use that to pull them in, to make them see the humanity of the preborn baby. So just very quickly, one of the things that we do is we just ask them a list of four or five questions. We ask them, and uh, if anyone's listening, they want to use it, I, re I really encourage it because I think it's very helpful. We ask them, do you believe in human rights? And then they will naturally, uh, although once in a while you hear, you'll find some some odd guys out there who just say no. But um, almost all the time they'll say, yes, of course I believe in human rights. Then we ask them, well, who deserves human rights? Then they say, well, everyone, all humans. Then we say, okay, if two people reproduce, what would their offspring be? And then they'll say, well, you know, human. And I'll say, okay, well, that's good. Uh, I'm glad you passed grade 10, uh, <laughs> grade, grade 10 science. Um, and then, uh, we'll, uh, then we'll ask them, um, can something grow without being alive? And then they'll say, well, no, of course not. If you're growing, you're alive. And then we'll say, okay, well, you know, so it's very similar to the way the master, kind of the Socratic uh, method where we just ask them, okay, well, just from what you said then, abortion then is a human rights violation. And almost all the time they'll say, well, yeah, that's true. Now, then they might want to try and come up with some objections. But just from starting there, it's a very helpful tool to always bring someone to just saying, well, if you support abortion, you're violating human rights according to your own words. Now, with some of the pushback we'll receive, even though they've admitted to them to, to themselves and to us that they believe that abortion is wrong, abortion is a human rights violation, that's when we'll also address to them, um, you know, when it's an opportunity to do so, the gospel. Telling them, look, you said yourself that this is sinful, that this is wrong but yet you support it. And this is, that exposes your own depravity, that exposes your own sin. And then we will share the gospel with them to try to appeal to them and call for them to 
um, believe in biblical theology, believe in human rights, and then uh, for them to repent and believe in Christ. Not at the public level, privately with friends and family, or even as pastors, just trusting that the word of God is sufficient in addressing to Christians on these issues. Um, I mentioned the human rights argument. I mentioned the photos and all that. That is primarily to appeal to the world and to bring them in so we can share the gospel with them. Now, but if you're speaking to Christians, you don't need any of that. Just teach what the Bible says. Quote scripture. I think so many times we forget that the word of God is a sword and it will do what is what God has called, what God has said, what God has set out to do with his word. Just teach the word. Um, teach what God says about Psalm 139, what um, what what God says in um, in uh, Proverbs 24, what God says in Luke, uh, Luke chapter one, verse 41. And I think Jeremiah, even uh, chapter one and five, I'm forgetting um, everything now, but just teach what the Bible says and be be full of conviction, but also with compassion. One of the things that I've learned um, as a pro-life advocate is many people know the facts they know the facts about abortion they suppress the truth right they know abortion is killing a human they know that but they just don't want to believe in it they have what we refer to as a heart issue they know it but they just don't want to accept it and oftentimes a lot of it is because they've i said they've either had abortions themselves or they've had they know, they know people who've had abortions and we need i know it can seem so so um cliche at times, but we really need to speak the truth in love because um, there's so many people out there. There's um, a quote that I heard from one of my colleagues, and they mentioned that if you throw a rock at a pack of wolves uh, or dogs um, and the dog that barks the loudest is the one that got hurt. So the, what they're referring to is when we go out there and we're talking about abortion, either from the pulpit or elsewhere, Let's say so with compassion and with love. Again, not mincing the words on what the Bible, not at all, speaking boldly. Be like Christ. Christ spoke the truth very boldly, and yet he, a bruised reed he will not break, right? Let's, let's be candid and kind because there are many people who've had abortions. There are many people who know people who've had abortions, and we need to make sure that we are, we are addressing how horrific and how, how grotesque abortion is while still loving them as people and and calling them to god's love man that's i i we could do this for hours man like this has been just so edifying for me i, I could listen to you talk uh about this conversation we, we could about this topic we could have this conversation and, and i'm so thankful for it uh but we we, we want to wrap up or we've come uh to the point of the episode if you're if you're new to the reformed informants this is maybe the first episode uh that you've ever listened to at the end of every episode we we kind of in a quick wrap up we do something called the informants initiative and it's just kind of this takeaway this one uh kind of application point maybe a central thought uh to, to take away uh, and we kind of each go around so i'll start uh lance you can go next and then and samuel you'll you'll, you'll close us out uh, so if there's anything else that maybe you haven't gotten to share and you'd like to uh now would be a good time to throw that in but uh just listening to this conversation uh I, i'm just reminded um in all of this about the holiness of god um, just in the simple fact, right, that that abortion is and pornography has come up, um, anger, wh whatever sin you want to throw into the fire, like 
all of it is the same and it's all a violation of God's holiness. And uh, when it comes to this particular issue, our culture has desensitized us to recognizing that this is an affront to God's holiness, uh, that as a nation, uh, as uh, many even in the church, we are uh, completely neglecting uh, that aspect, that attribute of who God is. And and we're not to play with sin. We're not to endorse sin. We're not to celebrate sin. Uh, we need to uh, hate what is evil, Paul says in Romans 12, 9. And this is evil, and we need to hate it. And so just reminded of that, um, uh, of the holiness of God and having this conversation. Yeah, man. And for mine, I would go right to where you went, TJ, talking about God, God and his character and his attributes and how he feels and understands uh, the, this situation. Psalm 127 verse 3 says that children are a gift from the Lord. In Ruth chapter 4 verse 13, it tells us that God enabled Ruth to conceive. And then Samuel quoted earlier from Psalm 113, for you created my innermost parts, you wove me in my mother's womb. Psalm 22, 9, yet you are he who brought me forth from the womb. Job 10, 8, your hands fashioned and made me all together. And then we've said a couple times here, but Jeremiah 1, 5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. God cares God cares about children. He cares about the preborn because every one of them are, have the Imago Dei. They are made in the image of God. Um, God is a God of justice. And um, we are to, as, as uh, you referenced yourself to, we are to abhor evil, love good, and establish justice. And Sometimes, and I'll be honest, there was a time in, uh, a few years ago where I thought, we're never going to end abortion. I thought to myself, it's not going to happen. We can never make abortion illegal. But, you know, Wilberforce uh, faced the same kind of thinking himself, I'm sure, when, there were, when he was being told, yeah, you can't end slavery. Here's the thing. Slavery had, has been around since almost the beginning of, of time. Um, you know, we know that going all the way to ancient Egypt, um, slavery was legal. It's been legal throughout the world. It's essentially, I think it was referred to as the oldest institution of sorts um, in, um, in the world. Well, yet slavery is now illegal, essentially, in mostly every, na every nation in the world. Abortion has only been legal for just a few decades throughout the world. We can end it. But I mentioned earlier, 40% of abortions are happening in churches. Start there, right? If, we, if, if many pastors and church members were really addressing abortion in their church, we can end 40% of abortions in our nations. And then we can be more equipped and more passionate to then go out to the, our, our world and save all the other preborn babies. Man, that's that's great. That, that's absolutely wonderful, Samuel. Man, we we appreciate you coming on. Um, thanks for giving us your time. I know your schedule is slam busy, and I know you're going to get some rest rest soon as well, man. So make sure you get refreshed and then get back at it, brother. We we, we appreciate you. Thanks for coming on, and uh, man, we look forward to seeing more of your work. Uh, slow to write on all social media platforms, blog as well. Um, 
all glory to God, man. Yeah. Thank you. No, thank you guys for having me. I really enjoyed it. And whenever you want to have me come back, please let me know. All right, brother. Hey, any anytime, you are always welcome here. If you're new to the podcast, maybe you're listening because Samuel uh, drew you in for this episode, we want to invite you to subscribe on iTunes or to our YouTube channel. Uh, you can like us on Facebook at Reformed Informants. And you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at our underscore informants. And you can find access to all of our episodes, links to all our social media platforms, and access to our shop all on our website at www.themagistiesmen.com slash reformed informants. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics of discussion, feel free to email us at reformedinformants at gmail.com.